We continue in Nehemiah in chapter 11 and 12, God willing, tonight. My title is Songs of Praise. This is a time of rejoicing in this nation, this nation that's rebuilt Jerusalem over so many years under three great men of God, Ezra and then Zerubbabel and Nehemiah. Songs of praise, that's the theme in chapter 12. But in chapter 11, we read here in the first few verses that Nehemiah's attention after the census taken in chapter 7, in chapter 11, he needs to remove the ghost town. The city had been restored, worship, the temple, and the walls, but it's a ghost town. And a city in those days that was not defended was very vulnerable. And so we read here in verse 1, the rulers, the leaders of the people dwelt at Jerusalem. Just imagine how dangerous it would be, the temple that was beautifully constructed and the walls or the enemies round about would have seen it and they would have noticed And so the urgent matter for Nehemiah is to have this city filled, filled with worshippers, filled with people who were dedicated and consecrated to the Lord. It could have been chaos unless the people were led and moved. And so yet again, Nehemiah, godly Nehemiah, is moved to do what was right of the Lord by the Spirit, And he sets about. Well, the first thing that we notice here in verse 1 is the leaders. The leaders dwell at Jerusalem. I just pause there. It's no good asking people to do what you're not prepared to do yourself. Good leadership sets the example. The pattern of our lives is that we should lead and others should follow. The old adage, do as I do and as I say, not the other way round, applies. And so Nehemiah and the leaders dwelt at Jerusalem. Just imagine what it would have been like if the leaders had found the most picturesque city, uh, village rather, town outside Jerusalem with all the fields and the beautiful views And they expected the poorest people to go and live in Jerusalem and to defend it. No, the leaders set the example. Otherwise, there could have been anarchy. There would have been injustice. And so they set the example. But then we notice something that's quite perplexing, a bit troubling. The rest of the people also cast lots. Lots? Sounds like the National Lottery. One in ten people randomly selected, it would seem, in order that they should live. In Holland they have something called the Postcode Lottery. Your name gets picked out of a hat if you've entered and you get given the winnings. Well, it's a bit like that here, except you draw the short straw. You can't live in the country, you have to make sacrifices. And so, 
That was the method used. Now, what do we think of that? Well, perhaps Proverbs and verse 16, of chapter 16 and verse 33 would be helpful. Just while you're turning to it, we often read in the Old Testament that they did cast lots. But just pause. They didn't have the word of God completed. And we can be sure that when lots were cast, this was a statement of their trust, not in themselves, not in luck, but in the Lord's doing. Just read Proverbs 16, the final verse, verse 33. The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. Now, you don't need to turn to it, but when we come to the New Testament, again, it disturbs some. Judas has fallen, betrayed the Lord, and they need a replacement. What do they do? They cast lots. Oh, should we do that here to see who the next pastor or deacon or elder should be? I hope not. I believe that's the final time that a lot was cast in the word of God. It's immediately prior to Pentecost and to giving of the Holy Spirit. And of course, it's before the majority of the New Testament is written down. And what do we say now? We have a more sure word of prophecy. We have the completed, full revelation of God. And we are now led exclusively, not by feeling or lottery, but by the word of God. And we don't need to add to it. We mustn't take away from it. But it seems this was the way that was determined so that 10% of the people should go and live in Jerusalem. And there's no suggestion that anybody revolted. Verse 2 is a little bit difficult to understand. My inclination is that this is a third group of people, the leaders, those in the 10%. And the suggestion, to me at least, is that there was another group of volunteers. And the people blessed all the men probably an additional category, that willingly offered themselves to dwell at Jerusalem. Some drew the, drew the short straw. Others, it would appear, offered. Oh, we'll go. I like to think that's the explanation. It might be just two groups. It doesn't matter. It seems that there was a willingness. That's the key point. They willingly offered themselves to live at Jerusalem. Well, that's worth pausing, isn't it? What happens in the church of Jesus Christ today? We don't draw lots. We appoint leaders and we expect them to lead by example. I'm glad to say, I think, we have leaders here of different departments and leaders of the church. I don't speak of myself that lead by example. They don't do what they expect others to do. They do the same. They take the lead. What about volunteers? We don't have an election to determine different things. We seek the will of God. We use the qualifications set down in Scripture to determine who should lead. 
And the rest of the work of God is done by volunteers, those who've got gifts, time, abilities, but that's how we're led. Leaders and volunteers. That's a good thing, isn't it? But let's think of these who offered themselves willingly. That wasn't easy. There was clearly far more than could fit into Jerusalem because only 10% were chosen. And if you were one of the ones chosen, you had to make a number of sacrifices. You had to reorder your thinking about material things. Make do with a little flat or a little building on the wall. Not fields and cows and sheep. You had to rethink your social connections, leaving relatives and friends behind, perhaps. You had to endure the problems of a city. Not so easy in those days. They didn't have sewage systems, and they didn't have all the luxuries that you would have of going down to the river to wash and all those other things. No, there would have been sacrifice. It wouldn't have been as easy. Of course, you knew you would have been in the line of fire if the enemy did come. So there were sacrifices made. This speaks perhaps of the new Jerusalem, the Jerusalem that's spoken of in Revelation. Perhaps turn to that, Revelation 21, just the two verses that speaks The word of God in Nehemiah is really being applied to us throughout the New Testament age. We don't just view it as history. Look here, Revelation 21 and verse 2 and 3. And I, John, saw the holy city. Same reference used in Nehemiah, I'll show you in a minute. The new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. We'll come back to Nehemiah. Nehemiah, look at verse 18, it mentions again the holy city. It's mentioned in verse 1, the holy city. This is speaking figuratively of the church that one day will be the new Jerusalem. So why is it that many today don't want to be in the city of God, in the church? Many today stay outside. Maybe they are believers. But they're scared of sacrifice. Maybe they're scared of the shame that they may have to bear to be identified with the people of God. Maybe they're concerned about some things like social priorities or reputation at work. Maybe they don't want to be on the roll call and become volunteers and go willingly. 
But it says here, the people blessed all those. They thought well of those who identified with the cause of God and said, no, I will be inside the city of God and I will dwell there and God will dwell with me in the new Jerusalem. We're told in Zechariah, don't despise the day of small things. Well, these people, the three groups, the leaders, three or two, the leaders, those who had the lot cast, and the volunteers, they willingly came. We will live there. We will be inside. We will identify. We will make sacrifices. Just turn to that hymn that we've just sung. It just caught my eye. Verse 3, 599. Lovely words, old words that just capture the spirit of what Nehemiah is speaking at. 599 verse 3. All that I have is now no longer mine, and I am not my own. Lord, I am thine. How can I, Lord, withhold life's brightest hour? They were farmers. They were shepherds. That's all they knew. But they decided they would take up a craft and they would go and live in the city. From thee, or gathered gold, or any power, why should I keep one precious thing from thee? when thou hast given thine own dear self for me. That's challenging, isn't it? The Lord has done everything for us. What does he call us to do? Identify. Set yourself aside. Put aside some of the temporary blessings that will be nothing when we get to heaven. Well, we go on in this chapter and we read, we won't come across it, but uh, you see here that there are people of the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin and the Levites. Well, Judah was a large tribe. Benjamin was a small tribe. They didn't particularly get on, we can see elsewhere. But it seems that in the common cause... People of different tribes and different backgrounds decided to unite. And there's an application there. We come from different backgrounds, different nationalities. Maybe we've grown up worshipping in a different way. And we've done church, as they call it, in a different way. But we come and we unite under the authority of God's word. We have a common need of Christ's grace and mercy. And his love in our hearts unites us. And that's what we see here. Judah, Benjamin, the Levites coming together. There's an interesting name here. At the end of verse 4, it mentions the children of Perez. I'm not going to turn to it, but you can refer to it in Genesis 38. This man and his offspring... The children of Perez, his descendants, were the byproduct of a terrible scandal when Tamar, 
pretended to be a prostitute. And these children, twins, Perez and Zerah, sons of Judah, were the result. Listed here are 468 descendants of Perez, children of disgrace. But look at what they've now become, children of grace. And you know the gospel, and our Lord is the only one that can do that. Out of a terrible, disgraceful situation where there was deceit and lies and immorality and a lack of faith, comes the children of Perez. And the generations have gone by and the Lord has restored what the locusts have eaten. And here we see these people called out of captivity back to Jerusalem, working and now living, and their church members, so to speak, in Jerusalem. They are called, later on, those who are valiant men. The word means strong, healthy, people of ability, and people of considerable means. It seems these generations have been blessed. It's the same word, valiant men, used of Boaz. Boaz, Perez, children of Judah. You don't need to turn to it, but Matthew chapter 1. The lineage of Christ. Verse 3, Matthew 1, son of Perez. Oh, isn't that wonderful? The godly line was not godly. There were times when it was ungodly. But the Lord restored the children of Perez. These lists of names, there's gems there. The children of Perez. We'll go down to verse 16. We see here that some of the Levites are appointed and it says that they were to have oversight of the outward business of the house of God. This is Old Testament language speaking of the church. There were those appointed to lead, to look after the fabric, to look after the business and the organization, the administration. These are sort of Old Testament deacons. They had the job that was mostly practical, physical. And here they have oversight of the outward business of the house of God. We look down at verse 25 and we notice that the Levites, they've been scattered. They're in the villages, some with the fields, they're farming. Children of Judah dwelt at Kerjath Harbor and in the villages thereof. And wherever they went, the word of God is taught. And that's necessary, isn't it? The Levites were spread to read the word of God, to declare it. Wherever it went, revival has happened and the people spread out and the word of God is taken between them. Verse 36, and of the Levites were divisions, groups in Judah and in Benjamin. There were those appointed in all these places. Well, we come to chapter 12. I want to go right down to verse 
27. And here we see the priority that's given is to dedicate the walls, to turn the people to praise, to purity, and to providing for the house of God. We'll look at those three headings, praise, purity, and provision. Verse 27, And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites, the priests, those who'd been given specific tasks, out of all their places, the villages, to bring them to Jerusalem to keep the dedication with gladness. Oh, this is a time of rejoicing. This is a time where they gather together and they want to give all glory to God. He's done wonderful things, marvelous things in their sight. They come back. The city has been repopulated. People have sacrificed. They've left their homes, their farms, their animals behind. And they've come together and now they dedicate the walls. Why the walls? It's just a wall. No, it's not. The walls mean far more. The walls mean truth. The walls mean the gospel. The walls mean the boundaries set around. The Lord has put the boundary lines in pleasant places, the psalmist says. And here for them, God's cause has been safeguarded. And they come back to Jerusalem. They dedicate, they give thanks to God with gladness. There's lots of words used here. With thanksgiving and with singing. And they come with instruments. Look at the very many instruments mentioned. Just three here, cymbals, psalteries, and harps. This is a joyful sound. In the Old Testament, there are 22 different instruments mentioned. There was the harp, the lyre, probably a one-stringed guitar, something like that. The horns, trumpets, flutes. There was tambourines, drums, cymbals, bells, and so on. But there were those specifically appointed to play these dedicated instruments in worship. What was the purpose of these instruments? Well, it was to keep time. It was to make a joyful sound. But the words that they would sing would still come to the fore. The worship was really the words. It always has been. Worship is words. Today it's the other way round, isn't it? Sometimes you can't hear the words. Sometimes the beat is so loud it drowns everything out. And it whips up a hysteria. There's nothing of that here. They come with gladness, thanksgiving. Singing, be very careful of worship, where the emotions get carried away. Now, it's true to say, we've got some lovely tunes to hymns. Some of those tunes we hum and we sing, and it brings joy to our heart. But let's ask the question, what's first? Is it the words? Is it the truth? Is it God's word? Do you know, emotions can be stirred 
And it's not always the Holy Spirit that's doing it. It's not always the truth that's causing joy and gladness and thanksgiving. Sometimes emotions can be driven by things which are not spiritual, things which are not of God. Remember, the flesh, first of all, has carnal desire. It's the mind that leads us first, and it's the truth that guides us, and rightly driven, the feelings do sometimes come after. Not always, the feelings don't come first. Well, we notice here, verse 28, there were sons of the singers. It seems there was not just a priesthood, but there was those who sung, and their children sung, and they gather themselves together. Again, they come from the villages, and they gather together to praise God and to sing unto his name. Well, we carry on. They had to be good singers. The job of singing was an important one. The worship needed to be excellent. There was a dedicated group of musicians and singers, and it says and tells us here, that they had to be trained, and they had to do it well. We don't do worship badly. We don't just think about what we're going to sing and how we're going to do it five minutes before. In this church, we let people know, having chosen what to preach on, we choose what to read, and then we choose what would be appropriate to go with it. And those that are involved in Ensuring that we can live stream, they know a good few days beforehand, and especially for the deaf. We don't say that out of any pride, but so that things can be done well. Sometimes we get a hymn number wrong. Sometimes we don't get a tune that goes with the meter of the hymn. Yes, we're fallible, but as far as we can, we try to do things well, as the Lord would enable us. They needed to be good singers. The worship needed to be excellent. Look at verse 30. Here's another lesson. We've thought of praise, and now we have purity. This is vital. You can't praise God without purity. The two are a contradiction. The Lord would not have himself praised by unclean hands. Verse 30. And the priests and the Levites first priority, purified themselves. And then second, they purified the people. And then thirdly, they purified the gates and the walls. What does that mean for us today? I come to worship. The pastor first must be prepared. And anybody involved in leading and praying in the worship service, which is to be led, they must first be prepared. Do you know, over half the battle in preaching is the battle of the heart, to be prepared in heart. And over half the battle amongst the hearers is to prepare the heart first, to receive the word of God. The priests first and the Levites. And then they prepared and sought the Lord to purify the people, the worshippers. Do you know the task of preaching is as much your task 
as it is mine. The hands were held up, weren't they? When the people of God came to speak, Moses, his hands were held high by others. And then the gates and the wall, what does that mean? Well, the situation, the circumstances, the physical surroundings, and the application for us is when we're going to worship, let's make sure it's well prepared, organized. Let's make sure when we go to read the Word of God morning and evening at home, we haven't got distractions. The television's not on. The computer's not pinging notifications. Let's make sure everything to do with worship and praise of God is focused on Him objectively. Isn't that what it means? Purification. The pastor, the officers, the people, the situation at home, at church. And then we can see here that there needs to be the preparation of the priests for worship. They gather, verse 35, with trumpets. They come with musical instruments, verse 36, the ones that the man of God David used, the ones that had been prescribed. And before and Ezra, the scribe before them. And they come to the various gates. They are going to praise God. It's going to be pure worship. It must be. Any other worship would be hypocrisy. And it would be abominable in the sight and the hearing of the Lord God. Let's ask ourselves. Let's not ask of other people's worship. Let's not look at other churches and denominations and say, look at them. Let's ask ourselves, is Christ first? Is his word of God, is it above every other authority? Do we prepare for worship? Is our heart set to the Lord? Do we look to him? As we've driven in our cars or walked here tonight, have we been thinking of worship? Have we confessed our sin? Have we come before the Lord with purity being high upon our thinking? Well, we come down to the final point as we come to the end of chapter 12. And we see, verse 44, that those were appointed to very specific tasks. Some of the Levites had to go and make their appointed position the rooms that were in the temple, the chambers for the treasures, for the offerings and the first fruits and the tithes. You see, this was now a people where the temple was the center of their lives, the center of their thinking. This is a physical thing. But of course, for us, this means that the worship of God and Christ himself must be above everything. Worship, dedication, commitment, sacrifice, having an eye, having a willingness to give towards the house of God. Some were appointed to the storerooms, the chambers, to gather from the fields. Well, why? They weren't making just sacrifices. 
This was for the Levites to be cared for. They had other work to do. They had the portions of the law. For the priests and the Levites, they were following God's commandment. And Judah rejoiced, verse 44, for the priests and for the Levites that waited. They were serving, they were ministering, and their needs were provided for. Verse 45, the singers and the portions that kept the ward of their God. They were obedient. They were purifying the people. They were keeping the commandments of David and of Solomon, his son. Verse 45. And then there were those. Verse 46. This is a lovely verse. For in the days of David and Asaph, two psalmists, who were chief of the singers of old, songs of praise and thanksgiving of God. That's what was their focus. They loved to sing. They loved to worship. They loved to put the Lord first. They loved to think of the promised Saviour. They loved to lift up the one who would be the Saviour of Israel spiritually. And all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and Nehemiah, verse 47, gave willingly. They went and moved house. They gave of their substance. They gave of their time. And the final part of verse 47, they sanctified holy things. They gave themselves so that the Levites could do their job and the, the Levites sanctified them, their offerings, their tithes, their first fruits, unto the children of Aaron. Well, what are the lessons for us tonight? Well, there's so many applications here. These are spiritual things for us. This was done willingly. Do you know, it's been said, we wish Nehemiah stops at the end of this verse, at the end of chapter 12. Our final study will be a sad study in some ways. If it stopped here, we could say, and they all lived happily ever after. But it's not like that. The pathway of the Christian life has ups and downs. There will be times of decline and there will be times of revival. And it will give great grief to Nehemiah as we come to chapter 13. For the people fall again in many ways. But just for the time at the end of chapter 12, this is a good time. This is a time of dedication, sacrifice, giving, purity, Praise, putting the Lord first, and we must do that. And if we don't do that, individually, we will know times of decline. The Lord will withdraw himself. He won't be near. Marriages will have problems. Families will struggle. But when we put the Lord first, and we care for our families, 
and we're dedicated and we're engaged in pure worship, godly living, the Lord blessed and songs of praises were sung in the city of God. May that be true of this church and many others too. Let's sing our closing hymn.